Welcome to the Ward's Auto Podcast. I am David Kiley, Senior Editor at Ward's Auto and host of this podcast. Good news, when we started this podcast in June, it was a six-episode trial, and my colleagues in London at our parent company, Informa, have decided they want me to crack on with the podcast. So we're going to continue our series on transformation. That is, the transformation of the auto industry from one centered on the internal combustion engine to one centered on electrification. We will pivot sometime in the fall to a new series around ADAS and transition, however slow and gradual it may turn out to be, to autonomous driving and the various steps along the way to get there. Since we recorded episode six, a few things have happened that bear commenting on and rounding up for you. One, the EU is passing a law that will require its member states to create a network of fast-charging stations. The EU must meet targets by the end of 2025 and 2030, including the building of fast-charging stations of at least 150 kilowatts for cars and vans every 60 kilometers, or about 37 miles, along the EU's main transport corridors, what's known as the Trans-European Transport, or TENT, T-E-N-T, network. The introduction of these stations will start from 2025 onward, according to the EU. Now, the mandates uh, that charging stations along the TENT core road network, which are the most important roads linking major cities in the EU, should be capable of at least 400 kilowatts of total output by the end of 2025. This regulation includes having at least one charging point capable of an individual output of at least 150 kilowatts. And by the end of 2027, the regulation requires at least 600 kilowatts of total output at each charging station and the same individual charging point requirement of at least 150 kilowatts. Now, the law calls for 50% of the tent road network to be compliant by 2027 and 100% compliant by 2030. Now, what's the significance? Well, the significance is the EU government putting its dollars and its authority behind where we all know we have to get to which is a robust and reliable network of fast chargers, whether we're talking about the EU nations or we're talking about the United States, because consumers are just not going to step up to the plate, a lot of them anyway, to buy EVs if they can't rely on the EV charging network and the fast charging network the same way they rely on gas stations. All the studies basically show that we're burning through early adopters right now, and that in order to get where the government wants us to go, we've got to pull people off the sidelines over the next eight to 10 years, or we're just never going to get there. Now, at the same time, speaking of the U.S., a consortium of seven automakers have banded together to give, uh, let's call it a hot foot to the fast charging efforts in North America. And that new joint venture includes BMW, General Motors, Honda, Hyundai, Kia, Mercedes-Benz, and Stellantis, which plan to install 30,000 fast charger connectors across the U.S. and Canada. 
and the first chargers are expected to go into operation in the summer of 2024. Now, at the same time, you have Tesla building out more fast chargers, and you have automakers like Ford, uh, General Motors, Rivian, and others who are cutting deals with Tesla to be able to use their fast charging network. Now, for perspective, there are 164,000 gas stations in the U.S., according to authorities. Now, with the continued build-out of chargers by Tesla and the networks like ChargePoint and EVgo, plus the efforts by OEMs and public utilities, local and state governments, et cetera, et cetera, uh, with a lot of funding coming from the Inflation Reduction Act of last year, there will be certainly in excess of 100,000 fast chargers in the U.S., by 2030, maybe by that time, uh, I've heard some estimates uh, going to a quarter million. But at that rate, gas stations will still outnumber chargers because gas stations have multiple pumps. Some of the estimates is that we need like a million fast chargers in place by 2030 in order to meet some of these government uh, mandates and to create the kind of comfort and sense of security. Uh, and reliability that consumers who are not early adopters are looking for. One more item of that I think is newsworthy on the EV front. There was a technical briefing in July, uh, Toyota announcing that it's made a breakthrough in battery technology that will allow it to eventually create batteries that offer 745 miles of range on a single charge and upward from there. And that it's aiming to create a battery that would give uh, an electric car, in fact, uh, almost 900 miles of range. And that's a solid state battery. Toyota says that the first generation will reach a range of around 740 and be able to uh, charge in about 10 minutes. They'll also be safer since solid state batteries don't have the same kind of flammable liquid solution found in current batteries. Now, the, we did an earlier podcast. It was our second one uh, with Adam Rogazino, our battery analyst at Ward's Intelligence. And we're probably going to revisit it, but solid state batteries have challenges. One of which is that they're, uh, I believe Adam described it as trying to bend a plate, uh, if you will. Um, but Toyota and its uh, supplier partner seem to have cracked the problem. Um, so we'll stay on top of that and bring you the news as it happens. When we get back, I will be talking to Paul Thomas, who is president of Bosch Mobility in uh, North America, about how the largest auto supplier in the world is adapting to this new world of electrification. The Wards Autos podcast is brought to you by Wards Intelligence. Ward's Intelligence provides trusted data, expert insight, and reliable forecasts into the automotive and auto tech industries. Renowned for their extensive current and historical data sets, pragmatic perspective, and industry-embedded analysts, it's easy to see why over 90% of their subscribers renew each year. To learn more about their market-leading automotive intelligence capabilities, head over to wardsintelligence.informa.com. Paul Thomas was named president of Bosch Mobility in January of this year, uh, and the company has realigned its businesses to give its overall business greater definition in the marketplace. 
So it is now known as Bosch Mobility, the part that uh, Paul Thomas runs. He oversees about 30,000 employees and $10 billion in annual revenue. And he assumed the role after serving as vice president of Mobility Solutions at Bosch, where he was responsible for sales, marketing, and quality. Now he's in charge of the whole shebang. And I caught up with him in Traverse City at the management briefing seminars put on by the Center for Auto Research. So, Paul, thank you uh, very much for joining us uh, on the Wards Auto podcast. We are in Traverse City enjoying the sunshine, uh, although we're inside a lot, <laughs> for the uh, uh, Center for Auto Research Management Briefing Seminars. Thanks, David. It's uh, really interesting to be here as well. It's kind of tough to see all the golfers outside while we're inside, <laughs> but we're talking about things that are really important to us right in our future. So. You can say that again. First of all, I want to congratulate you. I guess uh, you gave a great keynote uh, address this morning and uh, talked about kind of a renaming of the company that you're in charge of to Bosch Mobility, and you're going to be president uh, of the Americas. Is that a change of responsibility or just new business cards? Yeah, no, actually, it's a change in responsibility. So today I'm just responsible for the sales and project management quality side of our business. And in this new role, I'll take over responsibility for North America, Latin America, which includes Brazil and Mexico, and making sure that our mobility strategies, which is our car parts that we deliver, which we love to deliver, lots of hardware, but also blending in all of the mobility ecosystem and ensuring that we have a profitable way forward in the region, within the region. Yeah, that and the different challenges we have here. So no, it's the it's a big change in my role for sure. Well, great. And the reason we wanted to talk to you uh, is that uh, I believe um, that Bosch is the by revenue the number one auto supplier in the world. Is that right? Yeah, I think um, if you measure it, if you measure it the way Automotive News measures it, yeah, we're measured as the number one automotive supplier in the world. And as the mobility industry changes, we hope that the metrics also change along with that. But at this point, yeah, that's us. So one of the things that you gave in your very excellent uh, uh, address this morning was you talked about the, what keeps you up at night. And, and we've been doing this podcast now. Uh, this is episode seven. Uh, and we set it up on just that premise that the transition from uh, an internal combustion engine-centered industry to one on electrification is going to bring about huge challenges and a lot of pain. Can you uh, kind of share with our audience a bit of what you shared in your address this morning? Yeah, I think, um, you know, pain pain might not be the right word, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll use your words for a moment. But I do think it is um, a relatively painful experience to have to balance um, what you're doing to ensure that you maintain your investment and your path forward on current technology. And then ensuring that as you develop your current technology, you're taking advantage of hydrogen, like I mentioned today, and electric vehicles. And where the pain turns to a little bit of joy is figuring out how to ensure you balance the three of those because they will coexist. And, the, and the, the, the coexistence is where the fun comes and how you ensure that you invest the right amount of money in each one of those technologies and how they can all work together in, a, in an overall ecosystem. Because, you know, if you're a driver of a vehicle, whether it's your personal car, a fleet, or let's assume you're a truck driver, you'll have different types of solutions that you need. And it's important for me to ensure that I'm developing solutions for all different use cases. 
So yeah, does it keep me up at night? Of course it does. But do we have solutions? Are we in the right direction? I believe we are. And we haven't chosen just to go one direction. We haven't said, look, forget about our um, internal combustion engine routes. We're going to go all electrification. And we haven't said, forget about electrification. We're going to go all hydrogen. We said, we are doing all three. And we're going to make sure that we balance it appropriately. Well, so that's a parallel really to Ford, GM, and the other automakers in that, you know, Ford, for example, they've got an incredibly profitable full-size truck business Mm -hmm. and SUV business uh, while they're making these enormous investments in in EVs. And it's that profitable ICE business that's funding the transition with as little pain as possible. What is the equivalent at Bosch of Ford's, you know, truck and SUV business as far as what you are, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the the people who run those businesses when they come in and they have their status reports, you have a big smile on your face because you know that's where the profits are right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the profit situation at Bosch is a lot different than the OEMs, right? I mean, you've noticed over the last several years, the OEMs are becoming a little more profitable and the supply base in general is becoming less profitable. So we're seeing a little bit of transition as well in the profitability in the market as we're both making investments, right, um, in into EV and into ICE and into hydrogen along those lines. I would say that, um, you know, we don't look at it that way where we say we have this great group of people making money and we have this other group of people that are starting up. So we don't separate our company Mm -hmm. um, in that way. We're all in it together, so to speak. So our financial reviews don't um, look at it so diametric as you described Mm -hmm. it. We're just trying to find the right value equation that says, can we um, use, let's say, the funding we receive from our existing technology to make sure that we develop the right technology in the future? So it's not a, a burden, that we carry, we know that it's a necessity. And that happens with all technology, right? Or all changes in industry. Um, if you move from uh, kilobytes to gigabytes and gigabytes, you know, to where we where we are, you always have transitions in technology. So it's, it's a normal course of business for us. So one of the areas that you talked about, um, which I'm very interested in, is hydrogen. And uh, you have uh, partnered with Nikola, um, for one, and you've got a plant in uh, South Carolina, right, that uh, is doing a, a stack of some kind, which I'm going to ask you about in a second, um, that used to do direct injection diesel, right? Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, so we have um, in Anderson, South Carolina, we'll be manufacturing the fuel stack, the fuel cell stack for Nikola in that area, um, which is a great, a tremendous change for us, right? And that's going to happen in the next couple of years, right, where we launch our fuel cell production in Anderson. Um, And that's in a plant that was, let's call it, traditionally supplied to the ICE world. And now we're seeing that plant take the transition. The people are learning, the investment is being made, and um, we're seeing the change to a more, let's say, hydrogen-based. Now, that plant will still have lots of products that they make that are balanced between the ICE and hydrogen and other areas. So we think it's a good move for us. Now, I attended a uh, seminar here at the uh, MBS on public policy. And, you know, one of the things that was being discussed in there is the real need of the industry, OEMs, as well as the supplier base, to have stability of regulation. So one of the things 
that you've got to pay attention to because you're making these investments is the the move toward powering you know semi trucks by fuel cell is that going to be sustained you know for another 15 years or will politics intervene and and short circuit how, how do you manage that and how do you see it since you're making the investments yeah i think um you know not digging too much into the regulatory situation but from a total cost of ownership um position if you have a regulatory environment that says you need to have x amount of emissions and you have to look at the different solutions in the market hydrogen provides a very good solution for that total cost of ownership equation in coupled with the regulatory requirements and if you have a valid hydrogen economy along the route. So you have a filling station, you have an electrolyzer location where you're making hydrogen and the routes are known. I think that the total cost of ownership coupled with, let's say, the, the carbon footprint that's utilized, that, that's produced by that, creates a very compelling story. So of course the regulatory issue comes into play, but also how can it make people more effective in their jobs? How can it make, let's say, the, the value equation for hydrogen more effective than, let's say, an electric truck, which would be stop charging more of the time than it would be driving. So I think those are the variables we have to look at. Now, how it compares to a diesel engine or a gasoline engine or something along those lines that's along the same route, I still think hydrogen has its benefits in heavy-duty trucking, right, when you couple it with the regulatory question Mm -hmm. uh, that you mentioned. Like, can we still meet regulatory requirements with a hydrogen economy, I believe the answer is yes. Yeah. So there's a guy, I'm sh- I think you probably have heard of him. His name is Elon Musk, mm-hmm. um, who is, you know, uh, poo-poos uh, hydrogen fuel cells, particularly for trucks. He's got a uh, semi-truck, which is powered by battery. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretend for a second that he just walked into the room and sat down with us. What would you What would you tell him about uh, your feelings about investing, as far as the heavy truck business goes, investing in fuel cell stacks versus batteries? Yeah, you know, I've, I've <laughs> fortunately had the chance to speak with that gentleman on a few occasions in my life. Um, I think that he always has a different view um, in the area of technology. And let's assume that he um, has a, a different business model for electrification than fuel cell. I think from a technology standpoint, it would be a very good conversation. I think he would see the merits of hydrogen. I think he would see the merits of electrification. But I think he would think about it in the whole the whole business model sense. Does he have a way to replace that battery faster than other people do? Does he have a way to charge that battery faster than other people do? And I think the whole infrastructure question is what he, which, what he may challenge, right? Of course, he may challenge the energy density versus this technology versus the other. But I think he thinks more in the whole overall holistic sense of does the business make sense? Mm-hmm. Does the owner operator um, able to participate with his model or with the other model? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I would, you know, you know, I don't know if I if I would win that argument with him, but I think it would be a great conversation um, to talk about the overall business model. I think winning an argument with Elon Musk is <laughs> yeah. you, 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 there should, should be a prize for that yeah, if no, you I'm can not, manage I'm, it right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not setting myself up for that one too. Um, so uh, one of the things that uh, you mentioned, which I would caught my attention, it's very interesting, 
is that you have developed a business uh, in, in your battery space or, uh, for e-bikes, e mm -hmm. which I'm a proud owner of. Mm -hmm. And I can't, can't tell you if, you're, if your battery is in my uh, bike or not. I have an Aventon. I don't know if that's uh, one of the brands. You said you're, you're supplying to like over 40 brands. Yeah, I mean, we, we supply across lots of different bikes. I mean, you would be able to see the brand on the bike, so I'm not familiar right. if we're – I mean, we, we some some brands use solely Bosch um, mm -hmm. drives, and some use a mixture of drives based upon the price point and the technology that you want. But what's real interesting about the e-bike story that I brought up earlier is, um, you know, it really started with um, what could a Bosch motor do? In our, you know, a rotating electrical product that we're very, very good at making. What could it do in an environment like that, in a sportive environment? And it's progressed so far over the last 10 to 15 years that we've moved now into really creating an ecosystem for, let's say, um, e-bikes. So you have the drive, you'll have the battery system, and you'll have the services that we provide with it. So I would say that uh, hopefully you're lucky enough to have a, uh, a Bosch component on your bike. I'd have to see which one you have. But uh, do you use it a lot? I do. It's uh, as, I, as I just turned uh, a landmark birthday, I won't say which, <laughs> um, and I have uh, uh, both knees replaced and a wonky back and wonky hips. Uh, it, it keeps me on the road because the great thing about e-bikes, for anybody who hasn't tried tried it, is that it takes a lot of the hill work that that might keep you if you've got underlying conditions it, from from tackling it 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 flattens the world out a bit you know which is great yeah and, you know it ties in well with you know to sound a little cliche it ties in with our invented for life story because it can take people who uh, might not be able to do certain things and can make everyone an athlete mm -hmm. and I think um, that's a really good example of taking something simple and making it part of a lifestyle. So one of the things I wanted to just touch on uh, before I let you go is, uh, so you're, you're partnered with Nicola on their uh, fuel cell that, that they'll be using. Uh, Nicola is among uh, a bunch of startups that we're seeing mm -hmm. in, in the uh, mobility space. And I know you're always looking for, obviously, you're always looking for new business and new customers. And there are a number of new OEs coming into the space because uh, the electrification issue has sort of flattened out the, uh, the the opportunities. I think that that used to be a bit daunting uh, for some companies in terms of entering the ice business. That the electrification is is making it somewhat easier. So pretend I'm uh, one of the startups, one of the OE startups, and I'm meeting with you. Um, what kind of advice? do you have for somebody, particularly, let's say, coming in from another country, maybe, uh, they're trying to crack the U.S. market, um, and, and they're going to partner with Bosch and, and look upon you as a trusted advisor. What, what kind of things would you, would you tell them? Yeah, I mean, we've seen, we've seen a lot of consolidation already in the market of new EV entrants. I mean, if you look back 10 years ago of all the EV entrants we had then versus what we have now, the strongest have survived, right? Um, whether you came from another country or whether you came locally, my advice might be the same to you, which is take advantage of as much standardization as you possibly can. Utilize systems that can um, 
not only generate the, the performance you need from a hardware standpoint, but which tie in well to a central software type strategy. And uh, make sure that your driving, um, in your driving dynamics fit what the market needs. Right? Some people might, um, might like an aggressive electric vehicle with very strong regenerative braking. Some people may like to be able to coast to brake and do different things. I think you need to understand that as well. So I would say partner with someone like a company like Bosch, right, where we we have all the hardware and we have all the software to help you um, along those lines. But if you try to develop something on your own and solely on your own, it will be difficult because I don't think the capital markets are going to support you. So last question. One of the areas that besides the, the, the mobility part of it is the infrastructure to support electrified mobility. And one of the things that we keep stumbling on is – the reliability of the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So is that an area that Bosch is playing in now or that you're looking at to see, just like you did with e-bikes, is that an area where Bosch has expertise uh, that can be leveraged into that space? Well, I think some of the, you know, I talked about mobile mobile fuel cells earlier Mm -hmm. today, which allows you to place, um, you know, mobile fuel cells in certain areas to generate different levels of power. Right. So that's one way we'd like to address availability of electricity. Yeah. Um, as far as the infrastructure goes, we, we have um, different ways to approach the, the way you charge the electric vehicle to make it more efficient with some common connectors, some common standards related to smart charging cables that make sure that you don't um, overcharge, undercharge, and that the, the battery is being taken care of through all of that. But as far as infrastructure plays, pure infrastructure, like energy plays, um, we're involved with the people that are making those decisions and we're trying to ensure that, okay, is there a way to um, supplement the grid with different ways of generating energy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking that with your brand uh, and what it means, it's almost Bosch to me is almost a brand like, uh, you know, Intel, you know, where, when into Intel inside, you know, really met something and, and to your point, like on e-bikes, the, you know, your, your, your batteries and, and motors are branded. I know I bought a dishwasher because it was Bosch. <laughs> so, so that in a, in a trusted, um, because I think, I think that the infrastructure is going through a trust issue over the next, you know, seven, eight, nine years of it, of there being reliability. And I just thought, you know, boy, that seems like an area where the Bosch brand and the Bosch know-how would, would, would probably be welcome. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we'll be involved in the whole life cycle of the of the vehicle. You know, we do have multiple ideas for how to use the, the, the various levels of real estate we have in the service industry, whether it's in Europe or North America, mm-hmm. to talk about expanding um, accessibility um, to electric charging. But I think the infrastructure is going to be, you know, heavily driven by um, – the, the public industry, right, in the, in, the regular, in the regulatory environment and who's actually going to take the ball. Is it going to be the state and local governments that develop the infrastructure or is it going to be private companies that do it? And we're willing to play in both of those areas with our know-how um, and the ability to, you know, create digital twins of batteries so that we can help direct people where to charge their vehicles, what the state of health is of their vehicle. And I think we'll be more involved really in ensuring that the vehicle is extremely efficient and able to find the infrastructure. You mentioned, speaking of which, you mentioned something this morning I found fascinating, which was 
a cloud-based uh, tool and business that will monitor the, uh, the life and health of the battery, mm-hmm. and also that you're turning some of that um, monitoring technology and know-how into brake systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, every, every product that we want to develop into the future, and a lot of them now, we want to be IoT-enabled, which means we want everything connected. And whether it's a battery or braking system, there's amounts of data that come off of that, that if you have the specific know-how and you create a digital twin for either the brake system or the battery, you can, by our knowledge and what we know about the development and the software, know whether the braking system is performing as it was designed. We can also determine whether there's certain things wrong with the vehicle that are causing different type of braking exercises. Um, and we can also feed that back to the OEM on the development process to see whether they're over-designed or under-designed. So on the braking side, we can do a lot with that information. And uh, the reason I brought braking up is you wouldn't think that would be ever your braking would ever be connected. Mm. But on the battery side, it would be looking at the life of a battery, right? And you'd be able, through a digital twin, understand whether the battery was stressed, whether it was overcharged, undercharged. Um, and then when the vehicle started to reach the end of its life, how much time was left with that battery so that if you went to go buy one, you would get a health certificate that says, geez, this battery has been treated great. This battery has been treated poorly. And we would say, we advise you don't buy this car. Or you do buy this car or take this inherent risk knowing the state of health of the battery. That's amazing. What, what can be done with monitoring and sensors and, and, and all of that. Well, Paul Thomas, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Congratulations on your new job and expanded uh, responsibilities. And uh, I'm sure under your watch, uh, Bosch will stay the number one uh, uh, auto supplier in the world. We sure hope so. We sure hope you. Thank you so much for your time, too. Enjoy the rest of Traverse City. And I know you've got a couple busy days ahead of you. Great. Thanks again, Paul. Thanks to Paul Thomas. That's a wrap on Episode 7 of the Wards Auto Podcast. I'm David Kiley, Senior Editor of Wards Auto and your host. Until next time, subscribe to the Wards Auto Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other major podcast platforms. And you can also click in to listen from the Wards Auto website when we post a new episode or from our Wards Daily Newsletter, where we also post the new episodes. Thanks. Until next time. Thanks.